Are you ready to take your message, your business, and your life to the next level? Want to learn from someone with more than a decade of experience, training tens of thousands of people from all around the world? Hi, Cliff. This is Pauline from Auckland, New Zealand. John from Calgary, Alberta. Amy Porterfield. Michael Hyatt. Dan here from Dunedin, New Zealand. Ray Edwards. Mark Mason. Mike Stelzner. Pat from Smart Passive Income. It's Darren from Melbourne, Australia. Now is the time to live the life of your dreams and do the work you feel most called to do in the world. Welcome to the Dick Ravenscraft Show. Here's your host, Cliff Ravenscraft. Welcome back, my friend, and... This is the first episode. Can you believe it? First episode for 2021. Now, you, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while or subscribed for a while, you may recognize or remember that I had stated that I'm only going to ever create new content for this podcast in the event that I am inspired to do so. And anything less than an absolute voice of God saying, Cliff, you have to publish this. There's not going to be another episode of this podcast. And so that's why here on February 12th, I'm publishing the first episode of 2021. Let me explain to you a little bit of background for this episode. For those of you who are not following my Train with Cliff audio program, this is a podcast that I have been publishing at least once a week over on Patreon, over at trainwithcliff.com. This is not a sales pitch for that podcast, but if you are interested in hearing me on a weekly basis, I am always inspired to create content there. So head over to trainwithcliff.com. I have been experiencing a significant reawakening of my faith in God through Jesus in an incredible way that I would have never dreamed possible. I began sharing this faith journey in the Train with Cliff audio program on my Patreon podcast, starting back with episode number 218. I published that episode. It was October 7th, 2020, Faith Journey Episode one, or Faith Journey Update one, it was titled The Rabbit Hole of Philosophy. I began to share about this, what is the word? Insatiable curiosity, a desire to dig deep, to learn, to grow. And so I start talking about how I am really going at great depths into learning philosophy and points of view about creation, God, what is, what does it mean to be human, why are we here, all of that stuff, I just shared just where I had boiled up into this curiosity and where I was digging for answers to existential questions. <laughs> so, that was back in October of 2020 episode 218. And then on October 13th, just one week later, I did Faith Journey Update number two, and I spoke for two hours about what had happened over the course of those, uh, less than actually a week. And then I released uh, episode 221, so I there was an episode in between, but Faith Journey Update episode three, 
uh, the title of that episode was, Is This World an Illusion? And is reincarnation real? Now, for those of you who don't know, I grew up in a fundamental Christian Protestant background with a little dabbling of Catholic school and religious catechism, Catholic classes and mass every Friday during Catholic school, although I was never Catholic. Anyway, uh, but I grew up in, in a way and in a place where one does not talk about reincarnation. One does not believe those sorts of things. But anyway, is this world an illusion? Is reincarnation real? That was episode 221 of the Train with Cliff audio program, Faith Journey Update number three. Then I did episode 223 was Faith Journey Update number four, When Father Speaks, part one of two. And I think I only stopped that because I I needed to go and do something in the middle of what I was going to say, and then I came back and I did episode 224, which was Faith Journey Update number five, When Father Speaks, part two of two. That was an hour and 53-minute episode where I began sharing how God is actually speaking to me all day, every day. Then, uh, let's see, there were several other episodes, but then Faith Journey episode six came out, was episode 229. Uh, What am I studying? So I was giving people an update on the kind of things that I've been studying, what I've been reading, the notes that I had been taking. That was Faith Journey update number six. And then Faith Journey update number seven was episode 230. It was titled The Wall. It was something that I heard from Marianne Williamson, who is a teacher on something called A Course in Miracles. And there's an incredibly powerful lesson that I shared in that. Then in Faith Journey Update number eight, episode number 234, the title of the episode is Not Christian Enough, and it's a question. Am I am I a Christian enough to be on some other people's Christian podcast? And there's a very interesting story about how I was invited to be a guest on somebody's Christian podcast, and then because of some of the things they heard me say on Clubhouse Uh, which, by the way, we'll talk about Clubhouse maybe briefly here before I get into the full uh, episode of recording of what I have to share with you. But anyway, I've been on this platform called Clubhouse, been talking about my spiritual reawakening, and some of the Eastern philosophy and some of the language kind of scared this person a little bit, I think, and they uninvited me to their podcast. And so I basically sat down and I'm like, listen, do I want to have a grievance with this? Nope. So what can I learn? I'm going to choose a miracle. How can I learn and grow? What am I learning from this experience? What is it meant to teach me? And some powerful lessons that God spoke to me, and that's Faith Journey Update number eight, episode 234, the Train with Cliff audio program. And then Faith Journey Update nine, that was episode 235. It's titled Thinking Fourth Dimensionally talking about very esoteric stuff, very metaphysical things, and my experience with the mind of Christ or what is also called Christ consciousness. This is actually making things happen outside of this world and then seeing them become a reality in this world. Very esoteric stuff. If you're interested in learning more, it's an hour and 54 minutes, but it's incredibly powerful. That's episode 235, and then which was Faith Journey Update number nine, and then Faith Journey Update number 10, episode 236, does spiritual enlightenment make you prideful? Somebody had asked me that question. So anyway, if you're interested in finding out what's been going on on a daily or weekly basis in my life and you want to hear my voice consistently, 
you can check out my Patreon podcast. It gets one episode a week, every week, at least once a week. And it's over at trainwithcliff.com. Some of those more recent episodes are available for free. And I might actually go in. No, I won't. I'll tell you what. I will go in. I I will. I'll make this commitment to you. If you're interested in hearing each of those faith journey updates, I'm going to go over to Patreon and I'm going to make all of my faith journey updates one through 10 available for free. All right. So that means you do not have to become a $10 a month paid subscriber to my Patreon program. That's not the purpose of what I'm doing here. Now, if you should choose to become a Patreon supporter of what I'm doing, Boy, that would be cool, but it's not required. I'm very well paid in my paid coaching that I'm doing. Uh, it, 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 it would be interesting to think, man, what if what if God was to do something where I could actually just have the experiences that I'm about ready to share with you more frequently, and I and and stuff like that. But that's that's a whole nother thing for another time, and it's not the purpose here. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to share all of those Faith Journey episodes available for free. You just go to trainwithcliff.com. Go into the show notes if you want for this podcast, and you'll be able to see the links to each of those episodes. I'll link from cliffravenscraft.com, the podcast show notes. Basically, it's going to be over at mindsetanswerman.com slash 655. mindsetanswerman.com slash 655. The show notes there we'll have links to all of those Faith Journey updates on Patreon where you can click through and listen to them free from the website without having to pay anything to become a Patreon supporter. So that's my commitment to you. Now, what happens is I've had this spiritual journey and I've been using this platform called Clubhouse and I'm sure by now you've heard of Clubhouse. And if not, I would encourage you just do a Google search for a Clubhouse app it's incredibly powerful. It is the best thing that has come along on the internet since the invention of podcasting for somebody who likes to communicate with their voice such as I. So I am in love with Clubhouse today as much as I have ever been in love with podcasting. I still love podcasting today. Clubhouse is not a replacement for podcasting but it is unique in and of itself. And there is a free episode, by the way, of Train With Cliff that will teach you everything you could ever want to know about Clubhouse. It's available for free as well. It's episode 232 over at trainwithcliff.com. And the title of that episode is Clubhouse App Walkthrough. So if you wanna learn more about Clubhouse, now let me just set the stage here. What you're about ready to hear is a room that I just hosted on Clubhouse. Oh, by the way, some of you are going to say, wait a second, Cliff, how did you record that the conversation that you're about ready to share with us? Or after you listen to it, you'll say, how did you record that so that you could share that, that conversation on Clubhouse? I've been on so many Clubhouse rooms. How do I record those for my podcast? First of all, if you want to know the answer of how I did it, go to mindsetanswerman.com slash clubhouse audio, all one word mindsetanswerman.com slash clubhouse audio, 
all one word. And there's a page that I created. It's titled How to Record Clubhouse with a Roadcaster Pro. Make sure you re- read the important note that says, please read this first. It's all about the terms of service and whether or not you should record all of those other things. So make sure you pay special close attention to that. But anyway, I want to set the stage for what you're about ready to hear. So I hosted, or actually, let me say this. Over the past several weeks, Clubhouse has introduced me to people that I probably would have never encountered on any other platform in the way that I've encountered these individuals. I have met well, it's easy to say over a thousand people that I have absolutely fallen in love with in ever since December 9th, 2020, which is when I started on Clubhouse. And it, it, and that's not a that's not an exaggeration. At least a thousand people that I have fallen in love with. They're incredible people. And I have formed incredibly deep relationships with at least a hundred, maybe a hundred and fifty people. I mean, very meaningful, deep relationships. And what you're about ready to hear is the result of many of the changes that God or Father has done in my life as a result of what he's been teaching me, speaking to me, and it became very clear. He put a desire in my heart for me to host a conversation about spiritual awakening, consciousness, and whether or not are there multiple paths to this one God that created all things. Now, from my upbringing previously, prior to this stuff that God has been bringing to me and sharing with me, I would have thought that I was a heretic and an apostate. Some of you probably might be struggling with thoughts of that after you listen to what you're about ready to hear, but that's okay. I've broken free, and I am no longer attached to your praise or your acceptance of anything that I say, which is an incredible freedom in and of itself, and it's been shared in in that Faith Journey update stuff that I told you about. But anyway, I just had a 90-minute conversation with a Sikh from India, with a Christian who believes in the same kind of spiritual woo-woo universe, kind of all paths lead to God kind of thing as well, from London. Her name is Gail. Uh, Darshpreet is the Sikh from India. Then my friend Lubna, who is in the Netherlands, who is a Muslim. The, my, the first person that's a Muslim that I've had a deep conversation with ever, and I, I can't even begin to tell you how much I love her and how much I appreciate her and how much of a depth of a relationship that I'm already experiencing with Lubna. And then also Christina, who has no background in any religious doctrine or dogma but has come from this from the new thought slash new age slash uh, scientific slash spiritualism center for spiritualism stuff, the the complete just woo-woo without the God language stuff. That's her experience. And she's from upstate New York. And this is just a sampling. These four individuals are just a sampling of the depth of relationships that I have formed 
on Clubhouse. But it be, be God began speaking to me, Cliff, I want you to start fostering conversations where people can see what I'm showing you in these relationships. I want you to share with the world what it meant when I prayed that you would be one with them as I am one in the Father. So that that's what Jesus was speaking to me. That's that's the voice that I heard. And so this has been written down in my little post-it notes to myself. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And this morning, I heard the voice of God. He said, today is the day. And I'm like, wait a second. What do you mean today is the day? That's kind of short notice, don't you think, Father? And he says, today's the day. I've worked it all out. It's all ready to go. And I'm like, Okay, so I began first to reach out to my friend Darshpreet. I'm like, listen, okay, maybe if he, I know he's in India, I'm in Northern Kentucky. Worst case scenario, and of course, God's kind of (laughs) chuckling at me as I think about worst case scenario, but worst case scenario, it's just myself and Darshpreet, and we have an incredibly deep conversation. And, but father said, okay, see, I told you he'd be able to work it out. Not, Not a big deal. He says, continue on. Well, who's the next person on my list that I would definitely want to be a part of this? And I and it and I already knew it was Gail Edwards from the UK. And so I reached out to Gail. Gail, would you be interested in doing this today? And she said, you know what? If it's at 2 p.m. instead of 1:30, I'm in. And I'm like, then it's at 2 p.m. <laughs> Done. After I confirmed it with Darshpreet. And then Lubna, I'm like, okay, I want to have somebody else from another faith background, somebody other than Christian, other than Sikh. I want somebody else. And then I knew that Lubna has, I was pretty sure that she came from an Islamic or Muslim background. I wasn't absolutely sure. She had said something in passing about an imam, and I'm very ignorant of all things Muslim and Islam. Islamic and all this other stuff, but I made an assumption based upon the fact that she wears a hijab, and I think that's what you call it, in her profile picture, and I reached out to Lubna. I said, Lubna, I've always loved being in rooms with you around the same topics that I'm super excited about as far as oneness, uh, love, and consciousness, and all this other stuff. I, I would love to to know, would you be interested in participating in this conversation? And she said, yes, and I hope you don't mind if I ask, can you tell me what faith background you're from? And she said, Moslem, M-O-S-L-I-M. And I'm like, okay, please forgive my ignorance, but what's the different be- difference between Moslem and Muslim? And she said that it's really just the spelling that we use in Dutch. So it's it's the same thing. And I'm like, okay, thank you for your patience with my ignorance. And, and she said, I would be delighted to be a part of it. And then I reached out. I'm like, okay, there's only one thing that's missing here. Because I had all, let me tell you what I posted on Facebook. I posted this. Would you have, let's see here. This is the post from Facebook. What would happen if you put a Muslim, a Sikh, Christians, and non-religious, yet very spiritual people on a single stage in a room on Clubhouse? I think the result may shock you more than the fact that I am hosting just such a room today at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Come join us and see what happens. Now, at the time, I'd only confirmed myself, Darshpreet, Gail, and Lubna. I had not yet had somebody who was a quote-unquote spiritual person but with no religious doctrine or doctrine that brought her into a connection with God or source, as they might say. 
So, but I knew I knew several people that would fit that bill. So, I reached out to one person I knew that would fit that bill, and she unfortunately just was not available at that time, and I said, okay. And then I reached out to Christina, and she says, Cliff, I would love to, but I'm not available at that time. Please let me know and invite me if you do this kind of room again. I would love to be a part of it. And I said, okay, and I'm like, okay, God, so, you know, four out of five isn't bad. And 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 he says, Cliff, have faith. And I said, okay. And and I began to just go about doing the rest of my things. I've actually got this all scheduled. I've now promoted it and all this other stuff. And then all of a sudden, I get a direct message on Instagram from Christina. She goes, hey, oddly enough, I just so happen to be available now because some plans changed. Do you still have room for me? And I said, well, it just so happens that I do. And I asked her, now the thing is, I've had many conversations with Christina And I had made an assumption that she does not come from a quote-unquote Christian background, Hindu background, Muslim background, or any of the other kind of different religious backgrounds. But I didn't want to just assume that before bringing her on. I knew that she was a very spiritual person because of the rooms I've been in and the amazing depth of conversations I've been had with her and others in these rooms. But I just wanted to affirm this, and and God says, if you if you need to affirm it, you go right ahead, Cliff. And I said, okay. And so I asked her for a FaceTime. She goes, how about we do a phone call? And I said, sure. I think my phone still does telephone calls. And so I called her, and I asked her, and she says, yeah, I have no I have no religious upbringing and stuff like that. And I said, wonderful, that's perfect because you're exactly you fit exactly what I had envisioned for this room. So this room. For the last week and a half, maybe two weeks, I've had a vision and a dream of what you're about ready to hear. And today, this morning, God said to me, he says, today's the day. And I said, last minute? How am I going to do this? He says, Cliff, today's the day. And I went to work and just has he has done every single time over the last several months that he's spoken to me, he's always cleared the path and brought everything, every single resource I need to do anything and everything he told me that I'm supposed to do now, the resources he's always brought, just like that. And without any further ado and without any concern whatsoever about what you might think about me after hearing this episode, here is what I felt inspired by my Father in Heaven to share with you today. Father, thank you so much for this incredible opportunity. I am so thrilled to participate in a conversation that I think is essential and as important as what is about ready to begin. And I just want to say to set the stage for this room, for this conversation, to say that I never would have guessed, if you would have told me six months ago, I'd have a a Sikh from India, a Muslim from, I believe, the Netherlands, a spiritual mysticism person who has no religious dogma that, that she's really ever adhered to, a Christian who says that she's into this one God, multiple paths thing, and that I myself might identify with her. My gosh, what has happened in my life over the last six months? Well, that may be revealed, or at least the result of what has happened 
is this room, this conversation, and I'm eager to have it. I have no outline because as I was tempted to prepare how this might go, God said, no, I'm the one who called you to bring these people together. And just as I've done in everything else over the last several months and your entire life, I will lead and I will guide. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask each of my panelists to introduce themselves. And this is what I'm going to ask. About three minutes or less, I'd like you to explain just briefly your name, where you're from, and how did you come to understand God as you know him today? And I know that's ridiculous in three minutes or less, but let's give it a shot, see how it goes. Gail, why don't you begin since you're the first person to my right? Hello, everyone. I'm Gail. I'm Gail Edwards. And um, yes, I'm the one that believes in a oneness of everything. I am both a Christian and also some people would say a spiritualist. It's not really the word I would use, to be honest. Professionally, please have, have a look at my bio, because what I really want to do this evening is just to have this conversation with you about the spiritual awakening and how it, it's the path of me being a Christian and the path of me believing in spirituality and oneness and consciousness really does come together. So professionally, please check out my bio. And Gail, could, could you do us a favor? Where are you from? I'm from London in the UK. I would like, Gail, if you could tell us, I mean, in about three, maybe you could take as, as much as five minutes, but I would like to just hear an overview. How did you become a Christian? Were you just born into the faith? Uh, were you introduced to the faith of Christianity? And and how did, were you always, when you became a Christian, were you always open into, to the idea that you are one with those even outside of what is in the mm. eyes of many people as Christians. That's what I'm interested in hearing from yeah. you. Okay. So I was born into a Pentecostal um, kind of faith, to be honest. So it was Christianity, but it was very Pentecostal, very much from, you know, an Afro-Caribbean background as well. So culturally, um, church was a very big deal in my upbringing as a, as a young girl. And, but for me, I wasn't really interested. I went because my family went. That's what we did. But I was not interested. I was bored. I found the whole thing very, very boring. Um, however, there was one element that I always found very fascinating, which is funny enough is what's shown up in my work today because I, I named a program after it. And it was at that moment in church where people would, you know, literally – we used to call it catch the spirit. They'd have their hallelujah moment and there'd be lots of singing and dancing and wailing and, and real praise and glory and appreciation for the Holy Spirit. And, you know, it was that hallelujah moment that I absolutely loved. So I thought it was fascinating. People would be speaking in tongues, you know, they, they, their whole um, physiology would change. But aside from that, I wasn't that interested. I, I didn't even really like Sunday school either, to be honest. So when I, as I got older, I kind of drifted away, um, started to you know do do my own thing, so to say, so to speak, as a teenager. But then when I became an adult, sort of like my mid twenties, I had a consciousness and awakening that there was something more. And to be fair, and to be quite honest with you, Cliff, at that time, I wouldn't have said it was Christianity. What I would have said was a real understanding that there was something more. 
And I wanted to explore what that something more was. Was it God? Was it the universe? You know, what what was it? Because at that time, a lot of people were talking, were starting to talk about the universe and opening themselves to spirit. And, you know, so that was something that I started to become aware of. But even as I became aware of it, I was still feeling that's not it. That's not it. Now, I'll be honest, I didn't have the road to Damascus moment that so many people talk about when they um, become a Christian. What happened for me was a growing awareness and understanding that some of the teachings I knew as a child were really steeped in something not just familiar, but something very real for me. However, I didn't want to be a part of the Pentecostal church. I just found that that was almost too far for me. And even to this day, I really struggle with, with, with doctrines. You know, I don't, I don't like any religion that tells me I can't do this because, you know, I can't do something as simple as, you know, paint my nails red because that goes against, you know, the, the word of God. So I've never really liked doctrines. But what happened was when I got married, just before I got married, um, a lot of things happened in my life around that time. And I realized that the, the, the more that I was seeking, the something else was God, because there were things that happened that it couldn't, it, it could only be God. There was no other explanation for me. I just knew it in the very depth of my soul. So I then decided that I wanted to explore more, so I did. I, I did exactly that. I, I went to Alpha. Um, I started to go to church quite regularly and become very, became very active within the church from, you know, from the point of view of exploration and to help other people explore as well. So like I said, it was a gradual awakening as opposed to a road to Damascus moment. And then when I had my daughter, I was, there were so many, there was so many reasons why my daughter should not be here today that I knew, I just knew that that was through faith. It was through prayer. It was through meditation, which is my form of listening. You know, I, I look at prayer as my, my form of giving thanks and, and of, of asking for God's help and support and meditation is where I receive my answers. And, you know, it was then that in one of my meditative moments that the answer was, was given to me, you know, we need you. We need you exactly as you are. We need people like you who believe in that oneness. We need people like you to help other people. And that was it. I, you know, I spoke to my minister because by then I was in, um, I was in the Baptist church. I spoke to my minister and I said, I want to be baptized. And from that moment, that was 17 years ago. And from that moment until this, that's exactly how I've lived my life. I've lived my life as both a, a, a Christian and also someone who is extremely spiritually aware because for me, they are one and the same. You know, when we talk about the law of attraction, we're talking about the verse from the Bible in, in Matthew where we talk about, you know, ask and it shall be given. When we talk about the universe and trust in the universe that's that's no different to seek ye first the kingdom of god you know there, there are so many correlations between my faith christianity and what people call spirituality that for me there, there is no there is no difference it's just it's just language 
but the concept and the belief is the same. I love that, Gail. (laughs) Absolutely. And I have one specific question for you that's burning on my heart to ask. And that is, Mm -hmm. you come from a Pentecostal background, and I have some Pentecostal experience in my various experiences of of flavors of dogma and doctrine in in Christianity. But um, the Pentecostal flavors that I have been a part of, they are very much into their doctrine. And so, Mm -hmm. my, my, my question for you, Gail, is as you began to explore, I believe there's something more. And as you personally decide for yourself, I'm not really into your doctrines, and I don't know that I really care so much about your dogma. Did you mm-hmm. get did you get pushback from people in your Pentecostal upbringing? Of course I did. Of course I did. I was told that I was the devil's child, you know, and. Can you imagine not not so that happened fairly early on, like I said, I was I was, you know, in my twenties at that time. And I was young enough and, you know, bullish enough to be able to deal with it. But as I got older, as I got older and I started to do the work that I do, you know, I trained as an NLP practitioner, neurolinguistic programming, I trained as a hypnotherapist, you know. Um, timeline therapies, EFT, emotional freedom technique, all these things, which honestly, (laughs) to a lot of people in my circle at that time, that was literally training, you know, playing in the devil's playground. And they could not understand it. I could not understand them either, to be fair, because to me, I was just training and learning about things that was going to help me, that were going to help me personally, but more importantly, were really going to help other people to overcome their challenges, help them to move on, help them to be much better, more impactful citizens. So to be told that, you know, that's the devil's work and why are you why are you playing with spirit and things like that? It it just didn't it didn't compute. But what I did come to understand though, Cliff, is that people hold on to what they need to hold on to to keep themselves safe and to protect themselves. And there are some there are some sectors, let's say, there are some sectors of the community of communities that need the dogma. They need the doctrine because without it, the question becomes too big for them to answer. I wasn't one of those people, but I can appreciate that there are those people around and I respect them and acknowledge them. But I was very, very clear about my own path and the need to leave that behind. Thank you so much, Gail, for sharing just a a surface of your journey into your relationship with God. I really appreciate that. Looking forward to hearing more from you. I want to go now to Darshpreet. Darshpreet, if you wouldn't mind, please introduce yourself just briefly. Tell us where you are in the world and how did you come to your relationship with God? Thank you so much, Cliff. So I am currently physically present in Bangalore in India. Um, you can call me Darsh or whatever you like calling me, not very attached to my name as such. So um, I came across spirituality uh, from very young age because I've been very inquisitive about everything that I come across, very inquisitive. So if I'm not getting con- convincing answers, I probably would shun that particular thing. So 
and then I uh, I don't really like calling my religion as a religion because as you said that there is a dogma attached to it it's more of a philosophy uh, and things uh, the gurus who actually formulated Sikh uh, as a religion they were rebellions as well and I've been a rebellion as well by myself because I'm inquisitive that both the things come hand in hand so they've been questioning a lot of things that have been, have, that have been happening in the world um, you know for ages and ages like there was this system called sati system and this uh, sati system means that if a husband has died then uh, and in india majorly in hindu religion people are uh, cremated and not buried after death so as per the sati system if a husband has died then the wife would also get into cremation even if she's alive and these kind of systems were prevailing in India and these were questioned by the gurus who formulated Sikhism. And then the holy book that we take guidance from is it, it is not formulated by just gurus who formulated Sikhi. They, they, they were, the holy book was formulated by people from Hindu uh, religion, people from Muslim religion. In fact, the headquarters of uh, our religion, which is in Punjab, the foundation stone of that headquarter was laid down by a Muslim priest. And so these things intrigued me a lot, which told me, which, which, were, which were a direct indication that I don't have to stay stuck with uh, whatever is being taught in the so-called religious schools, if I may say. I, I, I can question anything that I want because it is an amalgamation of people who are really spiritual and those uh, the, whatever they have said during their lifetime if it is in sync with what spirituality is is the only thing that has been recorded in our holy book and that's the truth i've read it like twice there are like 1430 pages in it and it's huge but it takes a lot of time to read it and it's so deep and so i've been questioning a lot of things and then i realized eventually when i was growing up that there are more similarities to human beings than there are differences and even if, like, like you are in, Gail is in UK, you're in US Cliff, you know, we, we're all from different parts of the world. We still, we still have more similarities than differences. Why is that so? What is that one thing? What is that one thread that is, you know, connecting all of us together? What is that one thing? And if, what, if it is not spirituality, if it is not God, if it is not universe or whatever we, might, we may want to call it, what is it then? Nothing else, right? That's the only one thing. So when we are connected, even when we've studied different kind of philosophies, they're still pointing towards the same thing. That is the reason we've got similar mindset, mindsets. And then I, that's when I realized that there is more to this body. We're going to change it eventually. We may have changed. We've changed it a lot of times in the past as well. So how are we connected with each other? Uh, if we were just this body, how could we have similar thoughts when your upbringing and my upbringing has been done by entirely different parents by entirely in, in an entirely different culture how is that even possible so there is an innate intelligence and if i connect with that then even if i am physically living here i can still experience what cliff is experiencing here there in his home just because i'm able to connect with him through that innate intelligence through that collective consciousness so these things uh, you know intrigued me a lot and so far i've not been able to find any contradictory thought against it i'm i'm not saying that i'm satisfied with it I'm still questioning it still learning and the literal meaning of seek actually is a student and that was the name that was given to us by our gurus that you're a student of life you've got to keep questioning keep learning throughout the life you can never be satiated with the knowledge and uh, the wisdom of the universe and god so i keep questioning things and so far i've not been you know i've not 
been unanswered at all and all the answers that I've, been, I've, I've gotten, they're very satisfactory. So I'm still walking on this path and, uh, and I have a very strong belief that this is going to be the way till I leave this body. So that's how I came across spirituality. Wow, thank you so much, Darsh, for sharing that. And I hope you don't mind, I, I, I'm used to calling you Darsh Preet. I might actually go back and forth between Darsh Preet and Darsh. So we'll see see where I settle. But uh, No I, problem. I appreciate you so much. All right, so next we're going to go to Lubna. Lubna, again, please introduce yourself. Where are you in the world right now? And uh, again, can you take just a few moments to explain how you came to a relationship with God? Mm, thank you, Cliff. Uh, well, my name is Lubna, and right now I am in The Hague in the Netherlands. Uh, but I was born in Morocco. And my relationship with God started... I, I was born in a Muslim family, so I was brought up from young with, the, with Islam as a religion. Having said that, my parents took on the perspective of it's our responsibility to teach you what we know about Islam, but your responsibility to make the decision whether or not you're going to do what um, what Islam asks you to do. So I was never forced to do anything. I was taught everything, but I was never forced to do anything. And I was raised in a family where uh, my mother didn't start wearing a hijab until much later. Same with me. I didn't start wearing a hijab until I was 21. So I just took on what my parents shared with me um, about Islam. Uh, and it wasn't until I was... Oh, I have to think about it. Um, I was on... And two things happened. Two things happened that really triggered me in wanting to know more so that I could consciously make the decision whether or not I wanted to be identified as a Muslim. And one of them was when I went to university and I had one of those Nokia mobile phones, one of the very first mobile phones. And um, I, I remember thinking, why am I carrying this thing around? I don't know why. Until one day, my mother called me and said, be careful, you need to take another train uh, because the station where you normally go to, they're just rioting over there. So if you arrive at that station, you're going to walk right into riots and people fighting. So that was one. I thought, OK, that's the reason I have the phone. And another incident was actually the incident that sparked it really for me to investigate my relationship with God. And that was, I was sitting in university, in college, and and some voice, some sensation in my body started to tell me, you need to move, you need to get out of here. And I thought, why? You need to move, you need to get out of here, you need to go now. And I was really anxious because I thought, okay, I better listen. And I was very happy that the teacher stopped talking when he did, because normally I would stay a little bit and talk to my fellow students, but this time I, I ran out of the building um, took a, a tram before the usual tram that I would take, arrived at the station, and as soon, I still remember that moment without a shadow of doubt, as soon as my, I put my foot on the platform, a bomb went off downstairs in the hall. My very first thought was, if I had taken the tram at the time that I usually take it, I would have been in the hall while that bomb was going off. And God only knows what would have happened. 
those two instances taught, okay, there's something here, there's something here, don't know exactly what, I've been taught whatever my parents know about Islam, but now I want to study it. I want to know more about Islam before I make that decision, whether I want that to be my path. And I did. I studied it. And the more that I study it, the more I was convinced this is what I want to do. Um, and I solidified that as my path and my relationship with God. Lubna, thank you so much. <laughs> for sharing that. I look for more forward to digging even deeper into that that nudge that told you to get up and move. And and so we'll we'll come back for more of that. Thank you so much. I can't wait to dig in into more of this. Christina, welcome. Please introduce yourself. Where are you in the world right now? And how did you come to a relationship with God? And the interesting thing is, and, and I intentionally chose people from different backgrounds, different faiths, and and the one thing that I was praying for is, God, I want somebody on this panel that does not come from any religious dogma at all. And so you came along, and of course, we've met, I, I, what I love about Clubhouse is I didn't know anybody on this panel more than like six weeks ago or eight weeks ago or whenever I started Clubhouse. This is incredible what God's done through this. But Christina, where are you in the world and how did you come to a relationship with God? Thanks for having me here, Cliff. It's always beautiful to be in spaces with you and I'm honored to be on the panel with you four. I I had a long journey coming to how I know God and I grew up in a household that was pretty disjointed and, and dysfunctional, and I love my family dearly. But they, um, several of them were atheists, and I was, I was always curious. And my father was adopted. His biological mother, who I met when I was a teenager, she was, she was kind of around on the sidelines when I was young, but I got to know her really when I was a teenager. And she was a reverend in the Methodist church. And her idea of what God was, was beautiful to me, but she was also incredibly judgmental. And that had been a lot of my experience with Catholicism or Christianity or uh, any, any of the major sects. I, anytime I had been to church, it was only maybe three or four times as a kid and into early adulthood, it was, it felt very felt very judgmental and exclusive. And I told Cliff earlier, I felt that I would burst into flames when I walked through the doors of one. But I wanted to understand. And it took until my mid-30s that I'm 37 now, it was probably around 32, 33, that I started looking and I was curious. And I was doing a lot of work on myself. I was trying to understand myself better. I was processing divorce and I found Science of Mind and Center for Spiritual Living back in California. I'm from Silicon Valley in the Bay Area. I live in upstate New York now. And it changed my life. That community changed my life. That center changed my life. And Science of Mind is a philosophy in how we look at things. And the, the thing that really drew me in was that we we celebrated all the different religions and because of it every October I I'm I tell my Indian friends happy um 
oh, what's the Festival of Lights? Now I can't remember what it's called. <laughs> Diwali. Diwali, Diwali, Diwali yes. yeah. I love Diwali. And so I have an appreciation for all of these different religions and spirituality and just all these different arenas because for me, God is love. And I remember when I first started going to the center that I thought, what if, what if that's true? What if divinity is in all of us? What if God is in me and God is in you and God is in the trees and God is in my pets? What if it's literally everything that is animated with life? And I was working in a restaurant at the time. This was three or four years ago before I was coaching full time. And I was having this thought daily and I was in the restaurant and I saw this woman across the restaurant in a wheelchair and we smiled at each other. And it was a look that we, that look, when you look at someone and you, it's like looking deep into the universe. And as I walked closer to her, she, when I was close enough for her to touch my hand, she grabbed my hand and she said, it's so good to see you. And I bent down and I looked at her and I said, I've missed you. And she said, me too. I love you. I said, I love you. And that was it. And she said, bye now. And I realized it is. It's everywhere. Call it what you will. Love is love. And we all have our different variations. And um, so I, I recently did a... Uh, a survey on beliefnet.com, which was really fun because I was curious. I was like, what if I was part of a religion, where would it place me? And it's a, it's a fun survey that anyone could do. It's free. And it placed me in New Thought, which is Mary Baker Eddy and Christian Science. And I, I know from my own experience of myself that science of mind and Christian mysticism and the book Conversations with God, like those things are what opened me up into this space of divinity. And now it is, is a very core part of who I am. And with your permission, Cliff, I can save it for another part in the conversation, but I would love to write or love to read a manifestation I or a um, manifesto I wrote four years ago. I'll tell you what, would you mind saving it for a little bit later into the conversation? We have exactly one hour, one minute and 21 Absolutely. seconds left. And I want to make sure to get to everything that's in the plan here. So uh, I want to just briefly say, I know many people know me on this platform, but not everyone does. And that's one of the things I love about cl- uh, of Clubhouse. So let me just explain to you briefly, uh, as, as everyone else has done. I'm in Northern Kentucky in the United States. Christina, you said you were in upstate New York at this point? Correct. Okay, thank you. Okay, so I'm in Northern Kentucky, just outside of Cincinnati, Ohio. I have always lived in this general area of the country in the United States. And I can remember always having a curiosity about God from the time I was a kid. Uh, My mom, it turns out, had me baptized when I was an infant uh, in the Wesleyan church. I don't know how she got involved in that, but, but my youngest recollections of childhoods like so i don't have any memory of that time but from the youngest i have ever have memory of going all the way back maybe two years old three years old all the way up through my adult life my parents had nothing to do with any religion whatsoever uh now my mom was a christian but i never was taken to church or anything like that however i'll never forget that I had I had actually gone to Montgomery, Alabama with my aunt, 
And she took me to this little Southern Baptist church. And of course, again, even even though I hadn't been taken to church, I'd heard about God and I'd always wanted to know God. Oh, by the way, <laughs> that should I should probably say this. I went to a public school in first grade and had at, at kindergarten in first grade. I had straight A's. I was never talked to by any of the teachers. I was in a I was one I was one of two or three white people in an all black school. And it was in Cincinnati, Ohio, and and it was a very difficult time back in the 70s for race relations in Cincinnati. And I was ignored, and I couldn't spell my first name after first grade. So my mom, like, uh, we've got a problem here. Why does he have straight A's and he can't spell his first name on a piece of paper? And my first name was Cliff, all right? And still is, by the way, just in case you're wondering. But anyway, my mom and dad decided to put me into a Catholic school to get me a, a, an education and stuff like that. But we're not Catholic. So here, now I go from being an outcast, if you will, in a public school to now I'm pretty much the only non-Catholic in an all-Catholic school. And so I attend Catholic school from first grade, second time, all the way through seventh grade. Now, that means I'm sitting in religion catechesis classes every single week of my life for those seven years during school, and I'm attending a Catholic Mass on the, on Fridays every year or every week. And so, I'm. but when second grade comes around, everybody gets their first com- confirmation or whatever that's called, except for me. Everybody else gets to go and do confession, except for me. Everybody else gets to take communion, except for me. And my mom, I remember saying, man, do I want to, you know, I'm like, mom, I want to be like everyone else. And she says, well, do you want to convert to to Catholicism? And I said, I don't even know what that means. And so she gave me time to think about it. And then, then all of a sudden, now I'm going to Montgomery, Alabama with my aunt. And she takes me to a Baptist church. And all I know at this point is I desperately want to know God and I want to avoid burning in hell for eternity. Those are the two things that I most wanted to get solved. And so, it was a hellfire brimstone Baptist church in Montgomery, Alabama, and I was scared to death after I left there. I, I literally thought I was going to burn in hell. What if we get in an, ac- in an accident on the way home from church? I'm going to burn in hell based upon what I just heard. And so, I went to my aunt and I said, how do I avoid burning in hell? How do I get saved? What, you know? And she goes, well, it's real simple. Next, time, next week, we'll go to church. And when he asks people to come up to the altar, if you want to be saved, all you have to do is go up, raise your hand or walk up to the altar, and he'll ask you a couple questions and then you're saved. That's it. <laughs> that was my introduction to, to salvation the first time. And uh, so I think everything's fine. Uh, throughout my entire life, my again, my parents never went to church, but man, I went to every vacation Bible study or vi- vacation Bible school, Sunday school class. If the if a church van pick, ran through our neighborhood and I had a friend in the neighborhood who went to church, I would go with them. So I have Wesleyan, Methodist, Presbyterian, Nazarene, Assembly of God, uh, Salvation Army. I mean, I have all of the background. Uh, I mean, it's just crazy. And the one thing that I'm just confused is everybody else says that everybody else is going to hell. I just didn't understand. Everybody else says everybody else is wrong. But um, eventually, when I was 18 years old, I, I, well, when I was 15, I started going to a, a Pentecostal church because that's where all the really good looking women were. Um, at the time I was 15, it's like, th- this is a reason to go to church. But you know what? I fell in love with this very charismatic spiritual element. 
I felt there was a presence. I felt there was something there that I had never experienced in any of these other places. And I prayed and prayed for this gift in tongues, and I wanted to shake spasmodically and fall out on the fall down on the floor in the presence of God and and have this out of body experience like they did and all this other stuff. But I never got any of that. But you know what? I became a zealot anyway. And I and th- there was a time where it's like, man, am I saved? Am I saved? And of course, I, I think I rededicated my life again just to make sure that you know I you know I did all this stuff, got baptized, uh, then. When I was 18 years old, I started attending a Nazarene church Bible study group for young adults, started dating a girl, and I went to go meet her parents, and they grilled me. If you can imagine a, a witness protection or a, a wit, a, a, an interrogation for a crime that you've just committed, that's what I feel like happened. It's like, so, you're dating, you, you're, you've been dating our daughter. Tell us, are you a Christian, Cliff? Oh, well, yes, I am. How do you know? And so basically everything I just told you guys, I told them. I went to, you know, I had all these experiences. I went to Pentecostal. Oh, by the way, I left out the really hot girls at the Pentecostal church. That's the only detail that I left out. So anyway, um, I, I sit there, I said, and, and I went to, I've, I've gone to church in the Pentecostal church. I went every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Tuesday night, and Wednesday night. Went for a year and a half, never met, missed all this stuff. I've been baptized, blah, 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 blah. And they said, and, and, and so they asked me a bunch of other questions. And then I got home and my girlfriend at the time, she says, listen, um, my parents said that I, had, I need to break up with you. And I said, What? And they said, yeah, I need to break up with you. And I said, why? And she, she says, because they won't let me date somebody who's not a Christian. And they said, after talking with you and, and, and having the conversation with you, it was very clear that you're not a Christian. Now, if you think that I could care, if you think that I was concerned about the fact that I just lost my girlfriend, you'd be wrong. All of a sudden, I went into this existential crisis. Oh my gosh, if I die tonight, I'm going to burn in hell. I thought this had been solved. And so I reached out to somebody who was leading one of these Bible study groups that I was going to in this Nazarene church. And I was like, listen, I'm, how is this possible? I thought for sure I was saved. And so he goes through a bunch of scriptures, you know, uh, John 3.16 and, you know, the whole four spiritual laws, Romans road thing, if some of you are familiar with those things. And I'm like, do you believe this? Yes. Say this thing. Pray this prayer. Boom. Now you're saved. I'm like, okay, December 9th, 1991, Cliff Ravenscraft, finally, I have a contract with God. I'm never going to doubt this again. That's when I became, quote unquote, a Christian. And now I'm saved. And I will tell you, something changed in my life that day. Something was different than anything I'd ever experienced before. I was on fire and I had a relationship with a God and I heard him and I felt him. And the crazy thing is, is I began to say, okay, now what's next? What's next? And I had this insatiable desire to be with him and to learn more and to serve and to love and the crazy thing is, is that I began to follow the advice of people. It's like, well, here's the things that you do next. Number one, you go through these Bible study groups so that you can learn and grow, so that you can be the, an, a true disciple. You attend church regularly, uh, consistently. You, you, and here's the church doctrine. These are the things that you believe. And these, by the way, Cliff, these are the things you don't believe. These are the things that you do, and these are the things you don't do. And I'm like, okay, this is, if this is what it means to serve God and to love him, this is what I will do. And I did it zealously. 
And the interesting thing for me is I realized only many, many years later, and even actually feeling a calling to full-time ministry and spending 10 years, more than 10 years, as an ordained pastor serving in ministry, it was only after a decade of being an ordained pastor that I realized that when I was 18 years old, just a few months after I began that relationship, I had given up on that relationship that I had with Father, and I had traded it for a relationship with an institution, a relationship with information about God, and a relationship with moral code of conduct. And I was one of the most judgmental Christians you can... If anybody's ever been judged by a Christian, I was one of them. I was a zealot. I was holier than thou. I was self-righteous. I was prideful. I was all of those things. And I was certain I was right, and there's no way on earth I would have talked to anybody on this stage back then, because I would have been, that would have been me giving credence to you guys and your beliefs, which are obviously heresy. That was my, that was my relationship with God. And uh, one thing led to another. Thankfully, through a bunch of experiences, I finally realized and, and, and came to the uh, realization that what I'm experiencing in the church world, at least the institutions that I've been a part of, and let's be honest, I'd been a part of a lot of different institutions. This wasn't just a case of one bad apple. But out of a lot of institutions, I realized this has nothing to do with what I read about and what Jesus is talking about. This is not the experience that I, that I feel is right. And so my wife and I made a decision together after a bunch of prayer we would leave all institutionalized Christianity. We would leave all of the institution, the performance-based Christianity that we had both grown up in, and we left it. And we have not attended local congregational gatherings since September 2010. And my relationship with God, the Father, initiate, was, was reawakened, and, and I began to have deeper relationships with other Christians, and they were real and authentic and genuine, but they were still relationships only with Christians. And then, uh, to, to wrap up my story, is just to say this. In August of last year, I got the book Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda, my first introduction to anything outside of Christianity. And it rocked my world in such a powerful way. And by the end of that book, I went from, is reincarnation real? I was like on a one out of scale of one to 10. I went all the way to a five by the end of that book. What is karma? It's like, whatever. And then all of a sudden, karma is real. A completely different interpretation and understanding of creation, uh, divinity, soul, spirit, and and, and ignorance, maya, all of this stuff. I'm like, wow. And then I began reading a book called The Second Coming of Christ, The Resurrection of Christ Within You, uh, revelatory commentary on the original teachings of Jesus by Paramahansa Yogananda. And I began listening to the complete works of Alan Watts, who taught about Taoism and, and uh, Buddhism and Hinduism, and all these other, uh, Confucianism and all this other stuff. And then all of a sudden, I, I find this course in miracles, I find conversations with God, and I, and I begin a, a, a practice of meditation. Now, deeper, deeper prayer and connection with God I've ever had before, and all of a sudden, every morning, started about October of last year, every single morning, at least five 
to seven days a week, he wakes me up somewhere between two and 4.30 in the morning, every morning, and he speaks to me. He leads me, he guides me, and I'm saying he literally talks to me. He tells me what to read, what to study, what notes to write down, what I'm going to do that day, and I find myself not out of obligation, but absolutely I can't not do it. I'm drawn to spend hours every morning with him to start my day, and then he speaks to me and through me all day, every day since then, and then I meet people like Gail, Darshpreet, Lubna, Christina, and so many countless other people like them, and I realize these are the children of God. And I'm in love with these people. These people, These people. when I talk to them, I experience the love of God. When I talk to Gail, I feel the presence of God in communion with Gail. When I talk to Darshpreet, I feel God's presence when I have a conversation. When I talk to Lubna, I feel God's presence. When I talk to Christina, I feel God's presence. Thank you so much. I'm sorry I took so long to do that, but I wanted to share that. I want to ask next question. Um, what, what role does meditation play in your union with God, Gail? Oh, gosh, Cliff, yours, your story was, it was just so close to home, so close to home. And you touched on it absolutely when you spoke. It is about the relationship it's about the relationship that I have, you know, the, God to me is not a deity. It's not something that's, you know, up in the sky and, you know, some, uh, we go to this place on a Sunday and, you know, we, we worship this figure on a wall. That That's not God to me. And my, my story is very similar to yours, Cliff, in terms of letting go, as I said before, all the dogma and doctrine. So for me, meditation plays a very big part, a very big part in that, because when I'm praying, I pray several types of prayer. I pray a prayer of gratitude. I pray for support and for advice. And I pray for guidance. But meditation, the other side of that relationship is meditation. And meditation is where I am at one, where I'm literally at peace. And that's where I hear God. That's where... The, like you say, it's like the universe, um, spiritualists who believe in the universe will call it a download. Some people will call it channeling. I call it the voice. It's the whisper of God. That's where we are in conversation. I love that um, you mentioned that book by um, Neil Donald Walsh, Conversations with God. It, it, it's amazing because that's exactly what it is. It's the relationship. And for me, I don't have the other side of the relationship without the meditation. Wow, thank you. Darsh Preet, same question to you. What what role does meditation play in your relationship with God? I have experienced this over and over again. Uh, I like to spend a lot of time with myself. Um, and why is that so? It's because uh, that helps me improve my intuition. And intuition literally is, uh, you know, it's it's a combination of two, two words. In plus tuition. Tuition means learnings or the teachings. In means inside. So the teachings that we get from our inside is what intuition is. And what I've observed is that when I meditate, this muscle that I've, if I may refer it to as a muscle, this intuition, this muscle gets really strong. And I don't really have to have a data 
sets. I don't really have to have facts. I don't really have to have what world is doing to convince myself to do something that sounds pretty unrealistic or that sounds illogical completely. But if it's feeling right to my intuition, I end up doing it. And every time I end up doing it, it ends up being the best decision of my life in that area of my life. So meditation does that to me. I don't have to rely on the external sources of information just to validate whatever I'm feeling and whatever I'm doing is right or wrong. I rely on the information that comes from within myself and that gets strengthened when I, get, when, when I meditate. Thank you. Lubna, I, I, I plead absolute ignorance. I know nothing about the Muslim religion other than the really ridiculous things that I'm programmed to think about Muslims and Islam from the United States. So, please enlighten me. What, what role, if any, does meditation play in your relationship with God? Yeah. So, a little bit about Islam for those that don't know. There are five pillars in Islam and I'm gonna um, talk about one of them which is prayer. In Islam we pray five times a day and those times are dependent on um, on um, the moon, the, the standing of the moon and the sun so they're on different times and you are supposed to as much as possible to do that prayer at that time specifically. And what I have been thought, taught is that to see that prayer as your conversation with God. So you're having a direct conversation with God and you can ask anything that you would like for in that conversation. So it's a two-way street. So for me, those five times a day are a combination of prayer as well as meditation because a conversation requires you to listen to the other person that you're talking to so i do both excellent so so would you i, I and i'm just curious I, the only thing i and again i i i completely admit to only knowing what i see on television and movies so when i when i see somebody in islam i see a mat and i see them kneeling down on their knees and bowing forward uh but when i think about meditation i think about somebody in the lotus position uh, does any position of any certain uh is is there a certain position uh, for you in Islam that you pray and and have you ever done something in the lotus position where in Hindu they say this is uh, specifically how the spine does things so that it releases the 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 spiritual forces of or the lifetronic forces of the seven chakras and all this other stuff. Yeah. There are different uh, positions in prayer and you repeat a sequence of positions. And depending on the position, so some positions are you're in prayer, you're reciting a chapter from the Quran and another position that is your meditation position. So you can ask for anything that you would like. You can ask for forgiveness, you can ask a question that you're seeking the answer to, etc. And um and that's the, the problem with television. They don't show you the whole story. But we in Islam know the lotus position too. If you go into a mosque, you will find everyone sitting in lotus position before the prayer. Everyone. Everyone is sitting in lotus position, meditating before the actual prayer starts. 
Well, thank you so much. I'm learning so much and I appreciate you giving us that insight, Lubna. All right, Christina. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Christina, what what role does meditation play in your relationship and communication with God? For me, I I don't get as um, caught up in the position because I I like to move through a lot of my meditations. However, sitting still and being being still has its own has its own pieces that are definitely important. So I'll say that first part. Um, for me, silence is when the whispers come through, and that is that is God to me. So whether it's in nature or in a quiet room, it's that silence and that quiet that I can hear the internal messages that that need to come through me. I can hear source and feel that and feel what's next. It allows a calmness for that to bloom. So that's how it shows up for me and how God is revealed through meditation for me. Thank you for sharing that. And to answer that question myself, I will tell you that growing up, you know, there was a lot about kneeling in prayer and that that had never been something that that terribly was effective for me to experience any more union with God and, and sensing his presence than anything else or being consciously aware of his presence now is is what I'm I, I like to more accurately say based upon my current beliefs. But I I will tell you that sitting still and also sitting upright and alert and and doing my I don't know that I do the full lotus position but certainly something that is akin to it based upon my current flexibility but I will tell you that there is something about the incorporation and for me meditation is not just about a a position but it is also about prana which of course is called the breath in hinduism uh but, but prana the breath, breathing techniques, various different breathing techniques put me in such a state where I can actually break free from the noise and distractions of the outside world, the thoughts that have been programmed into my system from the time I was a kid. I can break free from the senses of the body. I can, I can uh, through meditation and through specific breathing exercises, I can actually withdraw my life force from my eyesight, my hearing, my smell, my touch, my taste, and I'm actually free from bodily attachment and experience something akin to an out-of-body type of experience. I have not experienced some of the things that I read about and all that other stuff. I'm not seeking an experience, but what I can tell you is there is something about being still and knowing that he is God, or he, she, it, whatever. But yes, meditation is a big thing for me, and it has been a total game changer. All right, we're going to go back around again. This this is going to sound like a very similar and very connected converse uh, uh, question, but I, I, I do sense that there will be a uniqueness to it. So the question I'm going to ask each of you, does God speak to you? Do you hear his voice? And how often and what's it like for you? Gail. <laughs> I love that question. And I love it because it has changed Cliff 
So when I was a new Christian, let's say, you know, when I was the first starting out in my journey, that was one of my biggest frustrations because I used to hear people talk, you know, and you just said it, be still and know that I am God. And I used to hear people say that and then they would, you know, they would say that, you know, when God spoke to me and he said this and obviously coming from a Pentecostal background and seeing people catch the spirit, I genuinely thought I was missing out on something. You know, I was like, well, why isn't he speaking to me? You know, am I not a good enough Christian or is it because I'm new and he doesn't know who I am yet? You know, all those kinds of questions went through my head. But what I realized and what I've come to know to be absolutely true for me is as my relationship has deepened, so has my receptiveness. So as I have become deeper and more faithful and I have become more open even, and this is where the consciousness comes comes in as well, you know, I've become more open to several different types of consciousness. Now I can hear. And, and and I listen and I hear God literally all day, every day. We are in co- we are in constant conversation because we we are in relationship. And you know, a couple of years ago, I had um, slight illness, and in fact, I had an angina attack. And I knew that I wasn't feeling well. Sounds like um, to some people might think, well, that's just a throwaway comment. But it wasn't to me. It was I absolutely meant it. As I got as I was sitting in my car and feeling what I was feeling, knowing I was unwell, I said, Jesus, this is your time now. You know, I've shown up for you. I've pledged for you many times. This is your time now. You need to take this wheel. And I got home. And as soon as I got home and I pulled up on my drive, it was traditional. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. And I got in through my front door. And within a minute of getting through my front door, I collapsed. And, you know, that was my Jesus moment without a shadow of a doubt. But I know that he got me home because we are relationship and because i listen and even when i was sick at that time i heard him saying to me i told you i told you to slow down i even showed you now you have to listen and that's the other thing that the voice the voice of god will be different for everybody we don't all hear the same voice because we don't all have the same relationship me me and my god we you know we're familiar we've been together a long time we can speak to each other you know however we need to speak each speak to each other to get the job done so yes cliff i absolutely do hear i love it darshpreet same question to you does god speak to you if so how does how how often and what does it look like for you All the time. Uh, The only time that God doesn't speak to me is when I'm trying to communicate my message to him or her, whatever you want to call him. So when I keep myself quiet is when God talks to me. And uh, when so it's like, you know, God is right now talking to me through you. And I don't really restrict myself with my own thoughts that, okay, I will only do things that are coming to me. That consists a major part of it as to how I live my life by listening to myself and understanding what's really happening within myself. However, I'm not restricted, as Gail said. I'm not really looking for things only from myself. I mean, when people are walking in a path of spirituality, depending upon how deep they have gone, like if we consider God as a body of water, 
the deeper you go, you, you will end up bringing a different quality of water out of that body of water, right? So if somebody has gone deeper than I have gone, right? And they are sharing their experience with me and they are speaking what God would want to tell me. I'm, I'm very open to that. Very open to that. So I hear God talking to me all the time. It is, uh, only in the situations when I'm talking is when God is not talking to me. When I keep myself quiet, I see God talking to me either through words, like I, I either get thoughts in my mind or I end up hearing things from people like yourself or I end up feeling about a specific thing. If I'm talking to someone, I would end up feeling if I should take this conversation further, if I should talk or if I should keep quiet. So that's how God talks to me. Thank you so much, Tarshpreet. Thank you so much. All right, Lumna, what about you? Does God speak to you? How often and what does it look like? Yes. Um, God does speak to me. And it it's different in different ways at different times. Uh, so I believe that that nudge about when I, when I shared the story earlier at University of You Need to Move, um, was a bodily sensation and uh, and the voice in my head saying get up you need to move you need to get out of this building right now uh but it's also been a feeling i mean one of the moments that i had um i had that that conversation with god is gay was with it i stood up in the middle of a conversation i didn't even say a thing and walked away uh, without saying anything and did something that I didn't know that I was about to do. So it comes in different forms, in different ways, but it's either a voice com- combined with a bodily sensation usually, uh, and I need to move. Whatever it is, it, it comes with movement. And Lubna, I, I, you may have said it. I apologize. I heard my wife upstairs come in. So I just want to ask you, did you, did you say answer the question of how often? Yeah, all the time, I said at the beginning. Oh, thank you. I, again, I apologize that I, I missed that no, no part. No worries, no worries. I just wanted to make no sure worries. for my own learning from you. All right, Christina, same question to you. Does God speak to you? How often and what does it look like? Yeah, I um, I hear, I, I refer to God as source a lot of the times. So to me, source is a voice of knowingness. It's a feeling of expansion and peacefulness and a really deep love and I hear I hear it more often than not through other people because I consider other people a representative a representation of divinity and source when they're really in tune with themselves and because I'm really in tune with myself I tend to surround myself with a lot of other people that speak that language and understand that knowingness and understand that trust in themselves and uh, so God speaks to me and source speaks to me in silence, in nature, through music, through other people regularly when I'm, and especially it's loud. Those whispers are the loudest when I'm fully engaged in surrender and creating and surrendering and creating and surrendering. Cause the minute that I start to think it's up to me, and the minute I try to control outcomes, the minute, and as Darsh said, try to dictate what's going to happen, then it then it goes away. And um, so I, I then I have to center myself and get back into the flow to hear that whisper. So it sounds, and and it sounds like you said regularly is what I heard as far as the frequency. Is that right? Yes, daily, moment to moment. It's 
it's all the time as long as I'm tapped into surrender. Okay, so so there it is. I I I had a sense that this would be the a common language, and if anybody and if anybody's been paying a lot attention, you'll hear a lot of how all of us are having the same experience of a single entity called God, Source, whatever you you call Him, Divine Mother, Heavenly Father. Uh, I, I don't know if there's a different name in Islam, Allah maybe. Uh, so anyway, but we're all having the same experience. We all are experiencing very similar experiences. That this is this is what's coming out. So for me to answer the question, do I hear the voice of God? Yes. How often? All of the time. With one exception. As long as I have a conscious awareness, as long as I have intentionally chosen in the moment to be consciously aware that I am in the presence of God. Now there's never a time that I'm not in the presence of God, but there are some times that I forget to be consciously aware of it. And those are the only times that I actually don't hear the voice of God. And coincidentally, or not coincidentally, the only time I'm ever tempted to not have peace, love, and joy is when I've lost my conscious awareness. But one of the things that I've discovered and have experienced now for an extended amount of time, for actually almost an entire year now, even before I became consciously aware of why it was happening, I have had zero anxiety, no worry, no self-doubt, no self-condemnation, no concern about what anybody thinks about me, what they might say about me, none of that stuff. I have peace, love, joy all of the time, and and I didn't realize it until now or until the last several months that it's because I have become attuned and and am actually consciously aware of God's interaction and presence and and his communication with me. So I, I, that's my answer to that question. All right. Uh, so intuition uh, is something that's come up here. And uh, let's see, consciousness, God is love. Judge. I want to ask you this, all right? I, so this is going to be a question for each of you. Based upon where you come from in this in this connection with God's source, divine mother, Allah, whatever. Do you personally, not anybody around you, not anything that you've been taught, do you personally have any judgment of any other human being on this planet for where they are in life as it relates to their faith or lack thereof? Gail? No. And the reason I can answer so confident and quickly is because I know what it's like to feel adrift. I know what it was like when, you know, I was in that space where, you know, I I didn't believe. And and quite frankly, at that time, I didn't care either. You know, it wasn't a thing to me. But did it mean that I wasn't moving through life? Did it mean that I was a bad human being? No, it didn't. I just was somebody who wasn't attached to anything. I didn't have any guide now because it wasn't showing up as a problem for me at that time it didn't you know it didn't mean anything however because i went through what i went through as i as i mentioned earlier 
when, as I said, it was a slow awakening for me. It wasn't something that happened and like, oh, wow, this is my road to Damascus moment. I, I now have to become, you know, the most ardent and fervent Christian ever. No, it was a slow awakening. And in in that awakening, I realized that there are, there are a lot of people who were walking around the way I was walking around. So my mission here isn't to you know, drag everyone to church with me and give them, you know, a palm cross on a Sunday. That's not my mission. My mission is to introduce people to God through me. I think um, Dash said it earlier about, you know, God speaks, to, God speaks to us through each other. And when I show up, you know, I think I've mentioned it earlier on, God created us in the image of himself. So when I show up in that image, it doesn't mean that I'm not human because I am human. He didn't make me perfect. He just made me human. But when I show up in that humanness and I touch another human being, <laughs> then that is God. That is love. It's pure love. And this is this is the, the place where my faith and my consciousness, my spiritual consciousness meet exactly at that space. So I don't have any judgment against another person. I have an understanding. And I even have a respect because... You know, people are walking around sometimes not knowing what they don't know. And I think really as those of us who are a little bit more aware or or those of us that have a path, those of us that have a mission, there's nothing wrong with speaking to another person about what that path or mission is. It's not about conversion. It's about information and education. Wow, I love so that. I don't. Thank you so much, Gail. Same question to you, Darshpreet. Yeah, I don't have any judgments for anybody either, uh, simply because I've done a lot of mistakes by myself in my life. And now when I look at those mistakes, I was doing my best in those situations. And that's how I would like to look at everybody else from that lens itself, that everybody is doing their best as per what they know and what they can do at a given point in time in their life. And when they're doing their best, what can you judge them for? And comparison, I, I, I don't really consider comparison as a as a good thing that has been, uh, you know, brought into our lives by our minds, like like the side effect of our mind is comparison, I would like to say, if I may say so. So comparing myself with somebody else just because I want to judge them. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very conscious that I should not be comparing. I'm not saying that 100% of the times I'm able to keep up to that level. No, but I'm consciously trying my level best to live at that point, live at that level as much as I can, that I'm not comparing myself with anybody else. And I'm not I'm not judging them just because of the comparison. If I don't compare them, I don't judge them because I know they're doing their best in their life with a given depth or wisdom that they have. Thank you. Lubna, same question to you. Judgment, do you have any? No, I have no judgment whatsoever uh, because I went on a discovery journey. I discovered what I want my relationship with God, universe, source, however you want to call it, um, looks like. So who am I to judge? Um, another person who's on, on their journey, however that may look like, and however fast or slow that may go, it's their journey, just as much as I have my journey. And I do with the information that I have, the best that I can do, and, and I agree with Dash, so do they. I can't make anyone do something. I don't like it when someone tries that with me. So why would I 
open up that to another human being. Thank you. Christina, what about you? Is there any judgment in you for, of other people? You know, Cliff, in full transparency, I want to say no, but that's not true for me. Um, I have judgment on leaders that weaponize God, and it it really bothers me. And so I have to consciously make a choice of how I'm going to respond in those moments. More often than not, I will leave. But I am such a love evangelist, and I don't believe that God is fear-based at all. I believe that God is love. And when people are speaking on a platform as though God should be feared, and, and the term even God-fearing is just, it's so, it doesn't resonate with me. So I have, I have very little tolerance for that arena. And um, so it's probably less judgment and more intolerance. But I have to consciously come back to we're all doing the best we can and, and at the same time, I love fiercely, and I just, um, I, I have my own issue with people that weaponize God. I, well, I thank you for that transparency and that honesty. Uh, can, I, can I ask you a question about that, just, to, just out of curiosity? Do you believe also that those people, while they are weaponizing God and in their what we would say in the the uh, spiritual world would say in their ignorance of their own divinity and knowing uh, that they are soul and spirit and one with all things in the universe. Would you would you say that you still ultimately, if if you get down to it, come to the place where you realize that in their ignorance they're still doing the best that they can with what they have to work with? Absolutely, and it's it's not something that is in my being enough yet where it it's. A natural flow in that space. It starts with judgment, and then I have to backtrack and remember that they are unaware that the greatness comes from them, and it has nothing to do with something outside of themselves. So I have to consciously work through that process still. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much. And and I will tell you, all the way up until this quote-unquote different perspective on the world that radically upturned everything for me, I was still full of judgment. I was. I it, as, as much as six months ago, I was full of judgment. I have zero in me now. Uh, I I do. I I have. I it, I just have zero judgment, and it's it's crazy because I have zero judgment of some of the most heinous things that people could do. And and I, I sometimes just like, wait a second, is it okay for me not to have judgment on something that somebody has done that is so heinous? And I'm talking about some of the most, th- the, this most the things that from our perception seemingly are the most heinous, evil acts a human could do, choose to do to another human on this planet. And yet I have no judgment these days. Uh, and... It, it it but for me it came that that actually that lack of judgment actually came from a different perspective on the journey of the soul in in return into union back with father or the source and understanding the the role of reincarnation and and multiple go <laughs> multiple do-overs if you will and when i once once i came around to a belief in reincarnation, all of a sudden, all of my judgment disappeared. And I'm like, okay. that that So that's my experience with that. All right. 
We have 16 minutes and 17 seconds left. Yes, I'm keeping that close an eye on the clock because I, I respect each of these individuals on uh, this call so much. So uh, briefly, Gail, I would like to ask you to share one thing that's on your heart that you would speak to Christians who have come up with your upbringing before you had the clarity of oneness with all. What what's somebody who is in your shoes prior to that clarity? What do you sense that is a message you would give to those individuals? Wow, that's a fabulous question. Um, I think the one thing that just popped out as you were saying it was to question whose belief is this? You know, are are you here? Are you in this church? you know, in this arena because you want to be or because you have to be? Because that was the question that as I got older and older, that was the question that I kept asking myself. Why am I here? Am I here because, you know, I I have to be here all day on a Sunday, you know, with an hour and a half break in between? Or do I really enjoy this? And the answer was, no, I don't enjoy this. You know, and even now... You know, after the consciousness, I still wouldn't enjoy that because that that's not the space where God lives for me. So that would be the question. Thank you so much. Darshpreet, same question for you, but I'd like for you to speak somebody f- to, to the folks who are from the Sikh or any of the other Indian uh, Hindu slash Buddhist background. Uh, is there something that you would say to them that... that prior to your understanding of oneness with all, is there something you would say to those individuals? Definitely. So what really happens is um, when, so there are a set of ideas, you know, set of beliefs, set of philosophies that you operate at. And when you operate at those philosophies and set of ideas, it is a little difficult to, you know, walk on that talk and when you're walking on the talk one thing that happens at that point in time very very commonly uh, is that we end up getting egoistic because we end up telling ourselves oh wow i've been able to do it not a lot of people have been able to do it i've been able to keep up with my uh, values and not a lot of people are able to keep up with the values when that happens when that ego takes birth i believe at that point in time you disconnect yourself with from god just in that very precise moment when you start feeling egoistic, just because you've been able to live at those values. At that point in time, I want to tell all of these people that to be very conscious that these values that you're walking on have been gifted to you after ages and ages, after lifetimes and lifetimes of meditation and then given to you without you doing anything to deserve those in this lifetime at least. And when those have been given to you as a gift, after a lot of deliberation, after a lot of deep thought, after a lot of meditation by the gurus, instead of feeling egoistic, you should be thankful for them and not do things. So what really happens is, as psychologically as well, if we end up doing something good, we give ourselves freedom to do something bad. Just because we've done something good. It's like a currency, like an emotional currency. Okay, I've done something good, and and now I can do something bad. So these people who walk on these values, I've seen them being very rude with their family members, being considering, considering themselves to be very high uh, compared to everybody else. That's what I want to tell them, that when you're walking on these values, they're not yours. They've been given to you without you doing any deliberation or any thought process. 
be thankful rather than being egoistic it's you're doing a good thing not just for yourself but for the entire world be mindful of that particular thing thank you lubna what about you a message that you would like to give to anybody from uh the muslim religion uh what would you speak to somebody uh, that's on your heart a message for them what i would tell them is the very first verse that was handed down from god um, was iqra which is the arabic word for read so my advice would be study what you have been taught by your parents or, or the people that have raised you about islam and about uh, god um, himself and know about what what's in the religion and the purpose of the religion because there's a lot of cultural interpretations that have absolutely nothing to do with Islam but everything with the culture. Thank you. And Christina, to those who don't have any tie to religious dogma and doctrines, they didn't come up through any of the religious paths, but they have found a conscious connection to the universe, source, spirit. What What's something that you believe in that community is a, as a message you want to give to them? That's a really fun question, Cliff. Um, I think to people that resonate with me and people in the spiritual communities is first of all, be aware of spiritual bypassing because it's uh, it happens in spiritual communities just like it does in religious communities. Um, but listen to you. Listen to you and question your beliefs because if you don't know why you believe what you believe, those aren't your beliefs. Those are something that you've inherited and you have been programmed to believe. And so question things and, and feel around and tinker around in your own soul for where the expansion is, because wherever that is, that's what's true for you. And be open to different communities and different religious backgrounds to understand their their philosophies, because there are threads that run through all of them that are these universal truths of love and compassion and peace and and all of these things and they're all they may have different language to represent them but at the end of the day it's a belief that there is a, a power greater than us that we don't fully understand and we can feel it when we're when we're quiet and silent and so uh, that's what i would say to my communities thank you and here's what i would say to my my community the people who may have been anywhere where i was in the christian fundamentalist dogmatic doctrine zealot world that i was in uh i would i would encourage you to go to matthew chapter 7 verses 15 through 20 that says where jesus said these words watch out for false prophets they come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they are ferocious wolves likewise every good tree bears good fruit but a bad tree bears bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit every tree that does not bear good fruit it will be cut down and thrown into the fire thus by their fruit you will recognize them 
by their fruit. How are we going? So my, what I will tell you, and and this is again just to my people who who may have come up in the ways that I did. I used to think that every person on this stage was a false prophet. I did. I don't anymore. But what I, the reason why I bring this up is because these folks on this stage, they are not. They are not wolves in sheep's clothing. They are not ferocious wolves. In fact, they all have good fruit. And and where do we go to find out what what is the fruit? I can tell you right now, I have spent weeks with each of these individuals, and I know that the fruit of every person on this stage, that you've heard their voice, their fruit is love. Their fruit is peace. Their fruit is forbearance. Their fruit is kindness. Their fruit is goodness. Their fruit is faithfulness. Their fruit is self-control. By the way, that's from Galatians 5, 22 through 23. Each of these individuals have the fruit of the Spirit of God. Now, I will also say Matthew 7, 21 through 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and uh, and perform many miracles in your name? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And, and what he says is these false teachers He's referring to the fact you will know them also by their bad fruit, and their bad fruits are also known as the acts of the flesh. In Galatians 5, 19 through 21, here's how you know a false prophet. They may preach things that sound good. They may have memorized doctrines. They may be faithful in showing up and volunteering and doing great works in, quote unquote, the name of Jesus or in doctrine, but here's the thing. They have sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. And I'm not saying that we're all on this stage. I'm not saying any of us are free from everything on that list. But I promise you, if you judge us by our fruit, it'll be obvious who are the false teachers in this world and who are the ones who have a direct union with God. That's my message to the people in my community. So with five minutes and 37 seconds left, Christina, how long would it take for you to read that statement that you had uh, wanted to share earlier? Because I do have one last thing that I would like to do to close out this room. Oh, sure. Um, It would take me about a minute and a half. Okay, go right ahead. We have time for that. I wrote this four years ago when I was really leaning into my own essence and, and to source and spirit. I am me. I am you. I am us. I am everything and nothing. I am omnipresent and omnipotent. I am love, light, bravery, truth, strength, and guidance. I am not the past or the future, but the current moment in time, which is ever-changing. I am the midwife for change, acceptance, connection, and love. I am one of many warrior leaders in the search for truth that is here to be the courage that carries you forward, that carries us forward, through the waves of emotion, the feelings of love or loss, 
the highs and lows, the ups and downs. I am here. I am me and I am you. Together we are one. We are all interconnected, unique and individual, with beautiful stunning separateness and connectedness in one giant tribe. We are love. We are human. Perfectly flawed magnificence with the power to manipulate energy in any way we choose. The choice is important and must be made with integrity. For without integrity, our network wilts and dies. Our roots feed, nurture, and nourish one another to create everything that exists on earth. I know you. I see you. I am you. I love you always. I love that. Thank you so much, Christina. I'm going to invite each of you, if you choose to do so, to participate uh, in any way of how it might look or feel or sound for you. But I'm just going to demonstrate for you what I'd like to, to do and see if, if, if you feel led or inspired to do the same. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to speak a message from my heart to each of the folks that have been on this panel. And then if you don't mind, just for the sake of time, just in general to everyone else who's in this room and has been in this room. So I'll, I'll lead and guide and, and feel free to take inspiration from what I'm doing and do your own version of it if you choose to do so, but only if you choose to do so. So here it is. Gail, Darshpreet, Lubna, Christina, and everyone else who is currently in this room and who has been in this room on Clubhouse. I love you, I appreciate you, and I thank you for the gift of life that I recognize in you. And I recognize your union with Father above and your divinity. Gail? Oh, Whew, thank you for that, Cliff. I really received received that. And I would like to say to you, Cliff, and to Dashpreet and Lubna and Christina, and to everyone in the audience, I would just like to say that we are all love. And when we express our love, we connect, we bond, but we also shine that love out into the world. So for me, I would just like to leave you all with the message that we are love. We are all love. And I love you, Cliff, and Dashpreet, and Lubna, and Christina. Amen. Thank you. Dashpreet. Wow. If we love, when we love someone, we express that in multiple ways, not just in one single way. We just don't cook for them, we clean for them as well. We do a lot of things for them. And because God loved all of us so much, He ended up creating all of us and then expressing His love in the differences that He has created. He's loving us in different ways by creating all of us different from each other. There would not have been any point in this world to just have only cliffs in the world, just have gales in the world, just have darshpreets in the world, just Lubna's in the world or Christina's in the world or everybody else in this group that, that are there. 
And because you wanted to love us in different ways, there is this differentiation. So I feel love not just the way I want to love myself, but I feel love in a different way from Cliff. I feel love in a different way from Gail. I feel love from different way in a different way from Lubna and from Christina in a different way. And I can feel the love being showered upon me, being bestowed upon me by everybody in this room in their own different ways. It would have been boring if God loved just me in one way. And that's how I want to look at it. And I'm feeling that very, very strongly right now. And I thank you, Cliff, and everybody on the panel and in the group for bestowing that upon me. Thank you so much. Thank you. Lubna. Uh, Christina, do you want to go? Christina. I think she's already... Uh, yeah, she may, she had a heart out at 3.30, so she may have had to leave. Thank you. Thank you, Cliff, Gail, and Darsh for all of those beautiful messages. Um, if I speak from the heart, then what I want to say is thank you. Thank you, Cliff, for bringing us together and having this conversation um, so we can share our commonalities instead of focusing on the differences. And thank you to each and every one of you in this room that's been with us since the beginning or has spent a little bit of time with us um, and those that are still here because through our sharing of our wisdom and you listening to us, we've been able to impact um, ourselves and you in a very beautiful way. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. What an incredible gift this has been uh, for each of us. I, I imagine for everyone who's been in this room and for anybody who will listen to this podcast episode, I will send you all uh, links to this. I'm going to put this in my main podcast, The Cliff Ravenscraft Show, and that'll be published over at cliffravenscraft.com, and it will be published within the next, probably within the next two or three hours. Thank you all so much. I know this will not be the last time we will gather. Whether or not we'll all be on the same stage at the same time, how often that will take place, I have no idea. But I'm eager for all the future opportunities for us to, to gather together. I encourage everyone, follow everyone that you've heard on this stage. They're all amazing human beings. And if you ever get an opportunity to speak with any one of these individuals in any room on Clubhouse, your life will be better for it. Mindset Answer Man.